0: The Mishnah continues to discuss feeding one's animals on Shabbos, and the main point of the Mishnah is that one cannot do something which is unnecessary when it comes to feeding the animals on Shabbos. We don't want one to work too hard on Shabbos, that's Uvdin Duchol. it's a weekday activity, and because of that in Uv's one cannot force-feed a camel, what they would often do when a camel was about to go on a long journey, at the beginning of the journey, they would feed the camel a lot of food. They would even force food, force feed the camel. They would stuff food down its throat to a place that the camel cannot then spit it out and he's forced to swallow it. And that way they wouldn't really need to feed the camel throughout the duration of the journey. But yeah, as I may, that is considered a hard work and unnecessary and therefore it is forbidden on Shabbos. For the Dersin, one cannot force feed a little bit of food to the camel either. Avomel eaten, but you can put food in the camel's mouth and try and make it to eat as long as the camel is still able to spit it out. As long as you're not literally forcing it down the camel's throat, it is permitted. They one cannot fatten calves also by force feeding them to a point where they cannot spit the food out. Avomel eaten, but you can put the food in its mouth if you put it only to a sp- only only to a place where it is still able to spit the food out. Similarly, in and Tanah one can put food into the mouths of chickens. And again, this is referring to a method of feeding the chickens, but not literally forcing it down their throats, so the chicken is still able to resist and not swallow the food, so that's not considered a hard form of work, and so it is permitted on Shabbos. For Nusen Murson, one can add water to bran. This was a preparation for the animal to eat the food. Avaloy but one is not allowed to knead the bran once you've added the water because one of the 39 melachos is kneading, mixing the grain or the bran with the water. So you're not allowed to do that, but you can add water by itself as long as you don't need it, because that is considered a necessary preparation of the food for the animals on Shabbos. The Mishnah brings another example of an unnecessary preparation of food, which is therefore forbidden on Shabbos. The a Maim Lefne One cannot place water in front of bees, Or in front of doves in a bird hut, in a dove cot. Because since these animals can fly around and get water very easily, for you to go and schlep water towards them is considered unnecessary and therefore you cannot do that on Shabbos. On the other hand, one can put water in front of geese for so gallium and chickens, but if LeYona had to see it, you stand in front of doves, which are a certain breed of doves, which were kept in people's gardens, and these animals are all dependent on their owner for food, and the owner usually does feed them, and therefore it is considered something necessary; they don't just go and get food themselves, and so it is permitted to bring water to them on Shabbos. Mishnah Dalad, This Mishnah ties together the laws of mukta and feeding animals. And the Mishnah begins by telling us, one is allowed to cut gourds. This is a type of vegetable which is usually eaten by human beings. However, it is also sometimes given to animals to eat. So If you've got these vegetables, and on Shabbos you decide that instead of eating it yourself, you're going to feed it to the animals. Now when feeding it to the animals, you would usually need to cut it up. The animals can't eat it without you cutting it up first. And so that is considered to be a necessary preparation of food. So it's not an unnecessary bother. And therefore, one is allowed to cut up gourds, literally abihema, in front of an animal on Shabbos, via sanavela, and an animal which dies without being slaughtered. It's forbidden to eat such an animal, and you really need to feed it to the dogs, or feed it to an animal. And so to cut this is considered to be a necessary preparation, in order for the animal to be able to eat that nevela. So the Mishnah says you are allowed to cut such an animal in front of the dogs for them to be able to eat it. The point is that according to the Tanakama, even though these foods are generally set aside for humans to eat, when Shabbos came in, he didn't have the intention to use the gourds for animal food, and also when Shabbos came in, the animal was alive in the second case of the Mishnah, and you intended on slaughtering it and eating it yourself. Only because it died is it now designated for animals to eat, so even though when Shabbos came in, it was designated for something else, according to the Tanakama, it's not considered muktsa to use it for a different purpose, in this case, to use it for an animal's food. On the other hand, Rabbi Yehuda argues and he holds that if the animal was not an before Shabbos came in, if it was alive, so then you planned on using it for human food you planned on slaughtering it properly and then eating it. So, it was not designated for animal food at all. So, to then use it for animal food is considered a violation of the halachas of muktah. Because it is not considered something prepared, because since you wanted to slaughter it and eat it as human food, and it's forbidden to slaughter it on Shabbos, so the animal is considered totally muktzah on Shabbos, and here we see a very important law with regards to mukta, though the status of something is dependent on the time that Shabbos comes in. So since in this case you didn't have the intention when Shabbos came in to be able to use it on Shabbos, it is considered Muktzah according to Bi Yehudah. the halacha is that one is able to make a nadir, a vow not to benefit from a certain thing. For example, he can make a nader not to benefit from any food for the next day. Now if one does make a nadir, and then a certain situation comes up, where he realises that he doesn't actually want to keep his Neder, so he can go to a Talmud Chacham, and that Chacham can try and find a way out for this person. For example, if he finds a reason for why the person, had he known that this situation would come about, then he wouldn't have made the nadir. So in that situation, Tabul Chacham can annul the person's nadir and he will be allowed to benefit from that thing which he made a vow against. This is known as Hatoras Nedarim, annulling a vow. Now there's another halacha with regards to one's daughter, when she's a certain age, while she is maturing, If she makes a vow, then even without any reason whatsoever, if her father hears about the vow, then for the rest of that day, until the night time, the father is able to annul the vow and cancel it as if it never happened, as if the vow never even began. Similarly, any woman who is married, her husband also has that power, But on the day that the husband hears about the vow, he is able to cancel it as if she didn't make the vow. Now, the husband can't do this on every single vow which she makes, only on certain types of vows, if it affects their marriage, or if it causes her suffering. So then he would be able to cancel the nadir, and that is known as haforas nadarim, cancelling the vow. So there's hafaras nadarim done by a chacham, and there is haforas nadarim done by the father or the husband of a woman. Now even though this can seem like a weekday activity, especially hafaras nadarim, where you get a Tam chacham or a bastin, Nevertheless, the Mishnah says that Mafir and Dorim by one is allowed to do a first and Dorim on Shabbos. That's when the father or the husband just cancels the vow. Because since we said that you've only got until the end of the day to do so, the Rabbonim were lenient and allowed them to annul the vow on that day, since after Shabbos goes out, it will be too late to do so. And similarly, Venish Shabbos, one can ask a Tamil Chacham about annulling his vow via Hathoras nadarim, but only if the nedar is something which concerns Shabbos. For example, if you made a nedar not to eat the three meals on Shabbos. So something like that concerns Shabbos, so you can go to Tam Chachom and try and annul the vow on Shabbos. However, if it does not concern Shabbos, so since Hathoras nedarim can be done even after Shabbos, unlike Hathoras nadarim, done by the father or the husband, so you cannot do Hathoras nedarim on Shabbos itself, Unless it concerns Shabbos, of course, rather you will have to wait until after Shabbos goes out and then you can go to the Talmud Chacham and try and do the Ataras Nadarem. The Mishnah continues with a couple of other activities which involve some sort of mitzvah, and because of that the regular laws of Uvdin D'chol, of weekday activities, might not apply. First, the Mishnah says a couple of laws, and then we will bring a story to illustrate these laws. Now, even before we get there, the Mishnah says that Prykikin is a one is allowed to close a window with a wooden board, or whatever they would use to close the window, and the truth is, we saw earlier on in the Masehta that this is actually a and this Mishnah goes according to the opinion that it is permitted. Even if the wooden board isn't tied to the wall, even if it's resting on the floor, you can take it and close the window. It's not considered to be adding on to the structure or anything. When do in samatlus, one is also allowed to measure a piece of cloth to see if it's large enough to make something else tome. If, for example, a piece of small cloth became tome, it, let's say, touched a dead body, and then that cloth touched something else. So for that to make the other thing tome, it has to be at least three by three at spotus. Three by three fingerbreadths the mission is telling us that if you're not sure whether it's big enough or not, in order to ascertain and find out whether the other thing became Tameh, one is allowed to measure the piece of cloth on Shabbos. This one is also allowed to measure a Mikva, whether it's large enough to hold 40 sa'ah of water, that's the minimum amount of water which a Mikva must contain. And since these things are considered Mitzvah-related activities, even though in general measuring things is considered to be a weekday activity, and is therefore generally forbidden midriah on Shabbos. When it comes to these mitzvah-related activities, it is permitted. There was a story which once occurred in the days of Rabbi Tzaddik, and in the days of Rabbi Tzaddik, that they closed out the window with an earthenware bucket, and the reason why they did this is as follows. The halacha is that if there is a dead body inside a building, then anything under the same roof becomes tome. However, if there is a wall which goes from the floor until the ceiling and separates between the room where the dead body is and another room, then the other room and the things inside the other room remains tahar. However, if there is a opening in that wall, for example a window, then the tumma travels from that room and also goes into the other room and makes everything in that room tahar. Now we're discussing a case where you have two different buildings, and let's say each building is made up of only one room. And there's a small gap between the two buildings, however, that gap is filled up by a barrel. Let's say so you've got a barrel which connects between one building and the other. So that barrel effectively makes both buildings part of have one roof. It connects the two roofs of the buildings. And now, in order that the things in the other house do not become tome, you're reliant on the wall separating it. Because it's really considered to be one big house now, one big building. So, there was a person who was about to die in one of the buildings, and the people wanted to make sure that when he does die, it doesn't make everything else in the other building also tome. So, what do they do? They close up the window, firstly, of that building, so that the tumor would not travel further on past the wall. Past the wall. and they did this using a earthenware bucket, and the reason why they did this is because if the thing which you close the window with can itself become tome, then it does not help to stop the tumor from travelling through it. Now the special halacha about earthenware is that it can only become tome on its inside, but the outside of an earthenware utensil cannot become tome. So, if the outside of the bucket is the part of the bucket which is facing the room with the dead body, then it would block the tumour from, from travelling past there into the other room. Now, for whatever reason, after the person died, they needed to open the window. Now, if they open the window, then it's going to cause the tumour to travel to the, other, to the other room as well. However, if you recall, they are really two separate buildings, and the only thing separating, um, the only thing joining the two roofs together is the jug which goes, is the barrel which goes in between them. Now this barrel had a crack in it, and the halach is that a crack which is a tefach wide at least, if let's say for example you have a crack in a ceiling, if it's at least a tefach wide, or tefach by tefach, then it splits the two sides of the room, the two sides of the crack, into two. So if there was a crack in the big barrel which was at least a tefach by tefach, that would solve the problem, because anyway it would be considered two different roofs, and the tumour would not be able to travel into the second room. But they weren't sure exactly how big the crack in their barrel was, so the kosherists have a kosher is They tied some sort of utensil, some sort of container, with a reed. A reed is not considered mukta, and the knot is also not considered to be a permanent knot, since the reed is usually eaten by animals, so he's likely to untie it later on and feed it to his animal. So they tied this container onto a stick, and then lifted it up towards the barrel to see if it fit through the hole in the barrel. Because the container was a tefach by a tefach, and it, if it could fit through that hole, that would show that the hole was big enough to separate the two roofs, such that the tumor would not travel into the other room. So they did that to know if there was a crack, or at least a tefach by a tefach in the barrel. And the Mishnah ends off, and from their words we learnt, from this story we learnt a couple of things. Number one, the one is allowed to close up a window. So it follows that one opinion which we came across earlier on in the Masechta. we also learnt that one is allowed to measure things, as long as it is for the sake of a mitzvah on Shabbos. Of course, if it's not for the sake of a mitzvah, it's forbidden because it's uvduduchol, a weekday activity. And finally, vacation by Shabbos. We also learn that one is allowed to tie things on Shabbos, and once again, this is only if it's for the sake of a mitzvah, and also it's only if it is going to be a temporary knot, but not a permanent knot. Solik masachas Shabbos, mazeltov. Masachas Irvin is really a continuation of masachas Shabbos, and as much as the malach of hitzaa of carrying from one domain to another, or of carrying something for four amas in harabim in a public domain as much as that took up a very large part of Masechah's Shabbos, Masechah's Ereven is almost entirely designated to continue that discussion of this specific malacha of Ha'itzah. Now when it comes to this prohibition of carrying from one domain to another, mid-e'orayse, the only prohibition, is to carry either from Ereshis harabim, a public domain which is at least 16 amos wide, open at both ends and is used by many people, so to carry from there into Ereshis HaYochid, a private domain, and that's not defined by a single person owning it, rather the definition of a Rosh is an area which is at least four by four Tfachim, and is surrounded by walls. So if it's surrounded by at least three walls which are at least tenth Tfachim high, then it's considered a Rosh Hashayachid, and midi'aray, so it's forbidden to carry from a Rosh into a Rosh or from a Rosh Hashayachid into a Rosh Now, rabbanon, there is a third domain, known as a caramelis, which is anything which is sort of similar to either a shayachid or a Shusarabim, but doesn't quite meet the conditions to be considered one of them. So for example, it could be an area of at least 4 by 4 Tevachim, which doesn't quite have three, at least three walls surrounding it. So that would be an example of a karmelis. And Medjabonon, since a karmelis is similar to both Eroshus harabim and Eresh hayachid, it is forbidden Medjabonon to carry from a Carmelis into Eresh hayachid or vice versa, and from a Carmelis into Eresh harabim and vice versa. Be as it may, the way that these streets in the times of the Mishnah worked, and the way that the streets were set out, was generally as follows. You would have lots of houses in a particular courtyard, a Chotzer, and then you would have multiple chatzeris, usually two, usually two courtyards, which would open up onto a movoi, which is a little street. So you have houses in a chotzer, and the chotzer opens up into a movoi. Now this street, this move has at least two sides, two walls, that's the walls of the courtyards, and some voyes, some of these streets also had a third wall at one end, so it would actually be a street with a dead end be as it may, the movi would open up into a Rishrus into a public domain which was a main street in that city, and if the movi was not a dead end, then it could very well have two Rishrus HaRabims, one on each end. Now, a which has three sides, so it's a dead end, mid-a-raisa, that is considered to be a Rishrus HaYachid, a private domain, and as well as that, a courtyard is certainly considered to be a HaYachid, because it's surrounded by four sides, and even though lots of people share ownership of the courtyard, we already mentioned that a is not defined by how many people own it, but rather how many walls surround it, and if it is at least 4x4 Tafachim. So on a mid level, one is allowed to carry from one's house, into the courtyard, and into the mother even, because they are all considered to be private domains. However, mid-Rabbanon, we are concerned that if people start getting used to carrying in a courtyard, and in a movui, they won't realise that it's also forbidden to carry in a Roshasarabim. They'll think, you know, the movui is owned by lots of people, the Chotzer is owned by lots of people, and we're allowed to carry there, so I'm also allowed to carry in the public domain, which, of course, is not true. But in case people come to do that, there are bonon decreed, the Rabbonon decreed that one is generally forbidden to carry in a Chotzer, or in a movui, because lots of people own it, and in that way is considered to be similar to a Roshasarabim, a public domain. Nevertheless, there is a way that you can carry there, and that is by making a ruvei chatzeres. A ruvei is when all of the houses, the people who live in the houses in a particular chatzer, they each, before Shabbos comes in, they each put some food in one of the houses. And by doing that, they basically join together all of their domains, all of their houses, and it's considered to be as if this chatzer, this courtyard, is the courtyard of this house alone and everyone has a part in that house. So by doing this Erev, that does allow one to carry in the chotzer and also from one's house into the chotzer, because it is viewed as really one joint domain. And it's exactly the same thing for a Mavuy. That's known as shit of Mavuyais, and that's when all of the courtyards join together, so that all of that is even considered to be one joint domain. And if they do that, then they are able to carry in the mavoi, and from the chotzer into the Mavuy, and from the Mavuy into the chotzer. And as well as that, if one wants to carry in the movui itself, he needs to make sure that on the open side, so we're talking about a movui which is closed on three sides, and on one end it opens into a shusarabim. Now if you're allowed to carry in the movui, you'll very easily just step out into the shusarabim. So to carry in a movi, one also needs to not make a wall at the fourth end, but he does have to make some sort of sign or post or pole on that end, as a sort of sign and reminder that people should not step out into the Rosh and continue carrying in the public domain, which is forbidden mida'araisa. So those are two types of Eruvin, Erevei and Shivtiv Mavayais. A third type of Erev, which the Ibn discusses, is Erevei Tuchumin, and this does not concern the Malachah of Heitzah of carrying, but rather of travelling. On Shabbos it is forbidden to travel for more than 2,000 amas outside of one city. There's a discussion whether this is Mid or Medir Most hold that it is Medir in nature. And one can travel 2,000 amas, which is around a kilometre, in every direction from the edge of his city the city where he is in on Shabbos. Now, on Erev Shabbos, before Shabbos comes in, one is able to make a Revei which is either when he goes and puts some food at the edge of his 2,000 Amos, or anywhere within his 2,000 Amos, or he just goes there before Shabbos comes in and he stands there as Shabbos is coming in. We'll see the details how exactly he makes the Erev later on in the Masechda. But the point is, if he does that, he is able to change how far he can travel. Because if you think about it, without making an e- of e- e- Tuchumin, you've got 2,000 amos in every direction. Now, if somebody makes an of e- Tuchumin, let's say 2,000 amos away from his city in one direction, what that does is, is that it says that his centre, or the place where he lives really, or the place where he's spending Shabbos, is not in his city, but rather it's where his of e- Tuchumin is. And that means that instead of having 2,000 amas in every direction from his city, he has 2,000 amos in every direction from where the Eruv to is. So if he puts that, let's say, at the edge of the 2,000 amos, he can then travel from his city 4,000 amos, 2,000 amos towards the Eruv, and then another 2,000 amos from there. However, he would then not be able to travel in the opposite direction on the other side of the city on Shabbos, because that is now further than 2,000 amos away from his center. And we'll go into the details later on in the maserta, but be it as it may, the maserta begins by telling us what one needs to do to be able to carry in a model. As we explained, if somebody is allowed to carry in a movri, he is very likely to continue carrying into a as well, and therefore at the edge of the movri, on the one open end, which opens into a arabin, one needs to add either a beam at the, at the top of the movri, or a pole or two on the side of the movri, on the side of the entrance to the movri and we'll see the details and how much exactly one needs to do in Mishnah base. but firstly the Mishnah begins by telling us that if the beam at the entrance of the Movui is higher up than 20 Amas, then you might, yes, to lower the beam, the reason being that if it's so high up then it defeats the whole purpose of putting it there. The whole purpose is to remind people not to carry from the Movvi into Rosh sarabim, and to remind people that the Movvi has a different halacha to the Rosh sarabim. but if it's so high up then people won't see it and therefore it needs to be placed lower. Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Yehuda says, Ein He does not need to lower it because it is recognisable enough and it is a good enough sign to stop people from carrying into a Roshas Now what happens if the haroch of Me'esra Amis, if the entrance to the Mavri is wider than ten Amis? Now if it's less than ten Amis wide, then we just view it as a sort of doorway, an entrance to the Mavri. Which is why even though in general a private domain needs to have four walls, over here, three walls is enough, because we view the open wall, the open side, as really an entrance. However, if it is wider than ten amas, then, then that can no longer be considered just an entrance. Rather, it's an opening, and because of that, you he you needs to lessen the width. He needs to fill in the sides so that the entrance to the Movi is less than ten amas wide, and is therefore just considered to be an entrance to the private domain. However, vim yeshle zuas apesach, If the opening, if the entrance to the movery has a structure of a entrance, of a doorway, and that means that it has two real doorposts with a beam on top of the posts, the beam we discussed earlier is at the top of the entire movery it's not resting on door posts. Here we're discussing a beam which is literally resting on two vertical poles, so then it's very much like an entranceway, and therefore even if it is wider than 10 amas, nevertheless in you do not need to lessen the gap, because it is clear that that is considered to be an entrance to the private domain as opposed to just being a large opening. So it does not destroy the Rishisayachid, and it is still considered to be that Rishisayachid, that private domain.